Hi, my name is Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. And you're listening to Wine, the long and the short of it. In proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. How well do you know your wines? From the simple to the complex, from acidity to Zinfandel. Welcome to Wine, the long and the short of it. My name is Antonia Dominguez, the long. And my name is Linda Coogan, the short. Between us, we have over 30 years collective experience in wine buying, wine retail and wine education. Every week we discuss a topic, product or trend from the world of wine. So Linda, we're going to end our season with episode 12, which is Ask Us Anything. We put it out there to listeners to send us in any questions they have, any niggling doubts. And we have received load of questions, both uh, by email and we received some as well by kind of audio message. This which you were, it, I know, yes. You uh, were responsible for it, so <laughs> I know nothing about it. So, um, so yeah, well, we just dive straight into the questions. Yeah, I suppose this is kind of a summary of, you know, to help listeners to kind of get a, an absolute overall view of loads of different things. So this is a really useful episode. So I've kind of put them in some sort of shape so that it kind of, you know, flows. And then we've got lovely, um, instead of a quiz, Antonia, we've got a did you know, and I have a few little, of course, things up my sleeve to, you know. Great. To, um, I'm to not end sure. on a high note. Yeah, exactly. Or a low note. <laughs> So, Linda, uh, let's get straight to it. What's the first question? OK, so the first question that's come in more than once is what is terroir? OK, so terroir is a term that we use to reflect the climate and the soil type of a, of a certain region. So um, if you say you know, cool climate terroir, we're talking about an area that has obviously cooler temperatures, maybe your it'll encompass soil soil types, it'll encompass the aspect. Are you south facing? Are you, you know, north facing and so on. So it, it reflects a, a um I suppose a a set of conditions mm-hmm. um that will influence, you know, the grape growing. Okay. So obviously we can get into how that affects the grape growing. But generally speaking, if you are in a cool climate terroir and you have sort of chalky soil type or Kimmeridgian like they have up in Champagne or Chablis, you can expect a leaner, crisper style of white. Um, you know, maybe some stony mineral- minerality or chalky minerality, um, you know, citrus flavours, you know, green fruits, a high acidity, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Okay. Does that answer the question? Yes, I think and it And the does. converse for, you know, a warm climate terroir and sandy soils, which will contribute probably more body to the wine and so on. OK. Yeah. OK. Thanks. Next question. Um, we have, OK, explain the difference between price and value of a bottle of wine. That's an interesting one. Mm, OK. Uh, the price and value. <laughs> well, the price is <laughs> on the label and uh, you pay it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the value is if um, what's in the bottle is worth it mm-hmm. in a kind of nutshell. But I suppose maybe to look at that a bit more would be, um, you know, certain wines demand a certain price point due to the terroir <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, where it is in the world and the supply and demand as well. Um, and, you know... There's different quality levels, so that would 
dictated price point depending on, you know, mm-hmm. the the area, as I just said, where it is. So if it's a Napa Valley wine, it's going to be, you know, a very expensive um What's land. that down to, Linda? Would you say? I mean, land prices, yeah, say like, in Napa, are huge. Yeah. Same as so, Burgundy. It's like, absolutely. Mm. Burgundy, Napa, Champagne. The, the value of the land there is just so expensive mm-hmm. uh, compared to La Mancha in Spain, yeah. uh, which, you know, mass produce wine. So I suppose that's one factor. Mm. Then you've got the cost of producing the wine, um, whether the grapes are handpicked. You've got the bottle costs. I mean, you know, transportation, taxes, all of that going into different countries. Mm-hmm. So I suppose mm-hmm. the price is different in every country depending on their taxes. And, um, and what about supply and demand? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's because, you know, it's hard, right, to get value from certain regions yeah, now because of supply and demand issues, as well as all the other factors you just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, can you can you get OK, here's the question. Can you get value now from Burgundy or from some of our other classic regions? You will pay a price for the wines from there, but will you get value? Not necessarily. Where you get value, I think, is which we've mentioned before in kind of lesser known regions, um, you know, southern Italy, regions in Portugal and, um, you know, not the likes of um, Poulet Fume or Chablis, but Touraine. Yeah, well, in Sancerre, you mean, sorry, in Loire, you mean in, you'd yeah. pay a lot for a Sancerre or Poulet Fume. Yeah. But if you got a generic... Loire AOC or Turan, you, you'd get a better yeah, value wine. Better yeah. value wine, yeah. I think, is that okay? Yeah, I think that's I mean, it. I don't I mean, want to spend, we could too talk long. about all of these yeah. things in detail, but I suppose just in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we've talked about what we consider to be more value-driven regions and styles. And we, uh, we I would certainly um, encourage consumers to, to look to those because, you know, it is, it's very expensive. It's really expensive it's to an get. expensive hobby, isn't to, it, wine? <laughs> yeah, but those classic regions, you know, due to not just the factors we mentioned, we also have vintage variations. So there's years and we've had a, a good question, few of that's them. That's a question. Okay. What is a vintage? What is a vintage? But oh, sorry, what does the word vintage mean? Yeah, but hang on, backtrack. Okay. What I'm saying is we're talking about supply and demand and it's not just that demand is high, it's also that supl- supply can be low and we are... Um, yeah, we're seeing problems with vintages and there's not enough supply to meet the demand. So those classic regions are really hard to find value in. <laughs> yeah. OK. What's next? Um, well, just answer this then. Well, you know, what does the word vintage mean? Vintage oh. means the year that the wine is, the grapes are harvested for making that wine. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. But some people, honestly, um, I was at a hen party last week and I was explaining that what they asked me, what is the year on it? You yeah. know, and I, I, I had to explain that it's the year that the grapes were actually picked. Yes, you know, and they said, oh, we didn't understand that. We just thought that that was a good year written on it. Like, do you know, honest to God, right? Or maybe so, people think it's just the year that it's bottled. Yeah, which you'd again. be forgiven for exactly thinking. So Absolutely. it is the year that the grapes were harvested, picked, and why is it important? Well, you just kind of said there because supply and demand and certain regions can have bad vintages, bad harvests because of the weather or mm-hmm. fires or lots of different yep. um, issues. So yeah. vintage. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Will we listen to one of our listener questions that, that were sent in by audio? Yeah, OK. Or voicemail, I should say. Roll it there, Roisin. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hello, Antonia. Hello, Linda. Uh, Sylvia here. And uh, my wine question to you is about uh, uh, food pairing. How should we pair um, hot, spicy food uh, with wine? Thank you. Love your podcast. Oh, Sylvia, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I love when somebody has actually mm. taken the time to do that and they're yeah. not like shy, you know. Yeah, so great. Sweet. Thanks for the question, Sylvia. Um, definitely, notoriously, one of the most difficult cuisines to pair with anything spicy. I mean, it's a, it's a killer when you get that wrong. You know, a big heavy red with a big spicy dish. No, is just I'm an actually attack like, ah! on the senses and on the palate. Yeah. So for me, it's all about finding an aromatic white, um, a fresh aromatic white style. Um, and maybe that has a touch of sweetness, like an off dry style. So we've talked about uh, a wine that you love, Linda, the Viognier, Gewürztraminer, mm-hmm. which is quite... Um, it's not to everyone's taste and certainly if you drink it on its own, it's quite um, it's it's quite perfumed and it has beautiful lychee and ginger. Floral and Floral, Turkish yeah. delight and all sorts Turkish of things. Turkish delight, on, yeah. rose petals and then it has a touch of ginger to it, which is, I suppose, that, that spice element complements mm-hmm. spice. Um, anything I think that is aromatic, you know, uh, will work. But if you have a touch of sweetness, I think it helps. What like you just said there, a Gewürztraminer on its own is quite difficult. Totally agree with that. And that's why I think it works so well with food. Do you know, yep. with that spice. So I would generally have that type of food with a beef chilli with extra peppers and spices and chilli. Um, I'd either have a, like you said, a Gewürz or an off-dry mm. Riesling, 100%. Yep. And the thing is, I suppose, it's it's not just the spice, it's the sensation yeah. of heat. You know, if you're tingly in that. So the first thing I would go for is something like milk or a beer. I wouldn't actually go for wine, but obviously Sylvia is this looking is a for wine, wine podcast. podcast. Linda. <laughs> but you know, I, my first thing would be beer. Yeah, you know, cold beer. Yeah, a fair cold, enough. cold mm-hmm. beer. But definitely I would yeah. tend to steer clear of reds. Yeah. And I would go for a chilled, a nicely chilled. Yeah. Um, what about a bit of bubbles with a, a little rosé, off dry rosé? Yeah, that could work. I mean, not to my taste personally, but mm. I think it could work. Um, I mean, I like bubbles with, with lots of different types of cuisines, with your seafood, with sushi, but um, I'd be more into the dry or crisp styles. But I think off dry rosé bubbles is a really good suggestion. Or we had a Moscato Dasty in a blind um, in a blind taste yesterday, which would is really fresh and aromatic and floral. And it's low alcohol as well, if you're, you know, trying to curtail that. But I think you hit the nail on the head with the Riesling off dry for me a cabinet or spitlaser or just a nice a nice riesling would work very well and um even for me like a really nice uh, like if i go to an indian um you you mightn't get that many options in terms of the off dry styles and the aromatic but i'd probably go to something like an alvarino as okay. well yeah so yeah hopefully Sylvia that's given you a few suggestions um let us know how you get on <laughs> yeah let us know if you're trying them out uh, right to the next question um, that I have here, Linda. That this is a really funny one. Funny, haha. <laughs> I, yeah, for me, funny, haha. Why does a wine taste different when on holidays to when you bring a bottle home? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. Um, well, I mean, do you know when you're on holidays and say you're in Greece and it's beautiful weather, you're having all the gorgeous food and everything. And you're like, oh, I'll bring a bottle of home, my suitcase, and you bring it home, and you're. But isn't that obvious? Isn't that just because you're not sitting in the sun and on your 
hollybops anymore. You're just having a really good time. <laughs> yeah, but you're probably so, coming back and you want to kind of recreate it. And, you know, it just doesn't taste the same. Sure it doesn't. Well, it doesn't. I mean, I think when I go down to Hedeth and I'm sitting there in a beautiful, you know, beach bar or in a plaza somewhere having tapas and I'm drinking a really cold glass of Manzanillo. Manzanillo or Fino. We got how long into this episode before she mentioned the sherry, I swear. You know, I I mean, yeah, you cannot recreate that at home as much as I try to. Yes, you do. But this is the beauty of wine that, you know, it's, it's a language that's spoken in different languages. So at home, you know, don't bring your holiday wine home because again, a friend of mine brought home a sparkling vino verde. Oh yeah. And she kept it too long. And By the way, another really good option for spice. A vino verde? Yeah, a vino verde vein. You know, the way a lot of it has a, a, a little, lot of a little of spritzy mouthfeel. Oh. Yeah, it's quite aromatic. A lot, go, of, Sylvia. a lot of it has a little a percentage of Lurero in it, which is quite blossomy. It's quite floral. Sorry, there you go. Just that you mentioned it. That's go ahead. Right. Sorry for interrupting. Um, yeah, like, I mean, if you're, I can't remember the same, but it's all good. <laughs> if you are recreating. You were trying to a recreate. friend brought you back, brought home a vino verde? Yes, she did. A sparkling one. And, um, well, one, it was past its best. She kept it a little bit too long, hoping for a sunny day in Ireland and it just didn't happen. Oh, no. And uh, I mean, it's all about creating memories and experiences. And that's what you kind of get away for your two weeks on holiday for. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yep. it is difficult to recreate it. So do your own little thing. Make your own holiday wines at home. Well, not literally make no, them. No, no, don't make them. <laughs> OK, um, Let's listen to another listener question, please. Roll it there, Roll it there, <laughs> Roll it there Colette. <laughs> Nobody outside of Ireland is going to understand that joke, by the way. Yeah, no, you'll have to, you know. Yeah, I know. Get more international. Hi, guys. Just wondering, I like to drink my white wine at room temperature. Is that a sin? This is Zach from the Irish Food Guide on Twitter. Looking forward to hearing your replies. Bye. That was great. Thanks, Zach. Linda, I'll let you go for that one. Nothing is a sin. Do what you want with wine. However, Zach, um, I'm trying to say um, this really politely. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So basically, if you're drinking your white wine at room temperature, you are not going to get the... um, Fullest expression. Yeah, like it's not going... Like nothing is... It's not going to enhance your tasting experience in my opinion um, because white wines are made to be enjoyed served chilled and meant to give you the um, expressive aromatics and when it's lovely chilled you're supposed to get the fresh crisp acidity from white wines and if you don't have a chilled and served at room temperature it's going to be very muted and can taste this is a real technical term here flabby and um, just kind of insipid, really. Like, you know, it's not going to release the aromas. And it's, but again, if you enjoy it, work away, Zach. But it is, it's not a sin, but I, like, I'd even, would you put some maybe, like, reusable ice cubes in it to kind of bring it down a little bit if you don't want to serve it, like, totally chilled? I'm just curious to see, like, if Zach, Zach drinks this like all the time on its own or if it's with food or what, you know. Mm. For me, it would not be some, the same with rosé. I would have to have it chilled. Mm. The only way I wouldn't want something completely chilled is if it was more of a, a Chardonnay style that has had some oak or an 
you know, something like a, a white Rioja or something like that, where you, you know, it can be more opulent, I suppose. So you don't have to have it absolutely chilled. Mm-hmm. Whereas that kind of thing, I'd, I'd, I'd be okay personally. Yeah. What about you? This is probably a sin for you, Antonia, is it? Or? No, look, I think what you just said there, the, the last part is absolutely true for me as well that if it's it really depends on the style if you have a a full bodied rich concentrated white um, or an oaked white you have room there maybe to go a little bit higher in temperature um, you know because it, it's complex and it's it's full bodied and it, it can it can it can still express itself at a slightly higher temperature and I wouldn't go as far as saying warm yeah. or room temperature but um a lot of whites, if you know, the fresher, fruitier styles, the aromatic styles, the lighter bodied styles are, you know, they're made to be, they're made to be drank like somewhat chilled because yeah. they're it's, even made in, in sort of cool temperatures. So, mm-hmm. you know, the whole point of ferment, fermenting a white wine at cool temperatures is to retain the, freshness, the aromatics yeah. and the freshness of the white. Mm-hmm. And it's about those esters, those cool ferment esters being released. And um, and so I I think it's made those styles that I've just mentioned are made to be consumed somewhat chilled for just as you said, Linda, in order to express fully the aromatics in the wine. Whereas if it's a bit more fuller bodied and if certainly if it's oaked, it can take like you could go a few degrees up. But like like the likes of a big branded beer serve chilled is their logo do you know what I mean or their their tagline whereas craft beers where they're, they're more complex it's the same kind of thing yeah um, and the other thing is alcohol can stand out a bit more if a wine isn't chilled as well so I would just anyway Zach do your thing yeah whatever works for you um, but yeah. I'm but you know what? in the fridge. it'd be really good exercise for you to, to sort of take to sort of lighter bodied, fresh, crispier styles mm-hmm. and, and, and at different temperatures and see how, how they go down. And then maybe do the same for for a, a bigger, fuller bodied style or oaky style and see what you think. What What is a sin though is what my mother-in-law does with red wine. Uh, no, sorry, white wine. Adds um, elderflower tonic and tonic to her no. white wine. No, no, no. So I've moved her on to reds now. But that Thanks is a sin. <laughs> Thanks for the question, Zach. Zach. Cheers. Yeah. So another question that came in, Antonia, is what is orange wine? Okay, so orange wine is basically white wine that has been macerated or spent time on its skins. So just explain that a bit further. Most white wines are pressed and the juices are ran off, racked off immediately off the skins um, so that you're left with a fresh, fruity uh, style of a white but with orange wines, winemakers are leaving the juice once the grapes are pressed. They're leaving them the juice in, in contact with the skins. And as we've mentioned before in previous episodes, the skin is where you get, um, yes, even white grapes skins have tannins. So you get texture from, from skins. Um, there are flavour compounds just beneath the surface of the skin, which can be released. Um, and so winemakers are, are leaving juice in contact with skins to get extract more flavour to extract different layers of flavours and also for texture and this has created the category of orange wines the longer that the juice is spent on the skins the more colour as well is the other third thing that we get from the skins is extracted and that wine starts to turn more kind of gold in colour and sometimes amber in colour with orange tones and hence the term orange wine So it's not made from oranges? Ah come on no, I'm oh, well, no. 
Stop. Well, well there that's is, a oh, serious sorry. question. Sorry, there is a ca- there is a style of orange wine made in Spain around Malaga and that area, which, um, which is made from wine that has had oranges or some part of the orange, um, macerated that's not in the wine. An orange wine, though, is it? Oh, do we have to go here? I've had orange wines that are made that are that are that, but I've had variations of that. What's your idea of an orange wine? No, so basically, people ask me at uh, the hen recently as well. Yeah. Um, I've heard of natural and orange wines and what are they? So I explained, she said, oh, it's not made from oranges because wine oh, is sorry, made from grapes. No, but there is an actual, there is an actual wine called orange wine made around Malaga. Okay. That's made from, it's not made from okay, fermented oranges. Okay, so that's oranges, not what we're talking about that we find in the shelves here no, in Ireland. No, or other so, shelves. so I thought you meant that seriously. No, I actually meant that kind of tongue in cheek. <laughs> All right, okay. Because people were asking. So orange wine is White grapes left on their skins, basically. White grape juice left on their skins. Exactly. To extract colour, to extract tannin and texture, to to extract complexity and concentration of flavour. And what I wanted to say about this is... Can I just say one more thing? Yeah, of course you can. You should expect from an orange wine that it's more complex in in flavour. So it should have maybe some savoury elements. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's a bit nutty. Um, Examples, petnats, ricazzitelli. Ricazzitelli is a white wine from Georgia and very typically... They um, they leave their juice on the skins. They put them in amphora. They leave them there for six months, for nine months. And they are seriously complex. Um, down around Jerez, where they're making a lot of still wines from Palomino now, they're doing something similar. Um, they're, they're bodegas for long and these kind of small boutique producers. And they're making really interesting, layered, complex whites. But they are very much foodie whites. You I know. was just going to say, like, they're not something that... You know, you can just sit down and sip, in my opinion. Um, you know, a glass, a bottle, I couldn't do it. Like, it's a sharing drink or buy the glass in a cool wine bar and you need to have some nibbles. And nuts is perfect, like some gorgeous little almonds or something like that is absolutely perfect. Yeah. Um, and for me, most of the orange wines I've tasted have kind of been like an iced tea. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like kind of that dry kind of That's a good comparison, thing. yeah. I mean, so, there's, yeah. there's a, a more accessible example of one would be maybe the Gerard Bertrand mm-hmm. uh, orange gold wine. You can get it in O'Brien's. It's made from a uh, Rhone blend. Uh, so Rhone grapes like uh, Viognier, Chardonnay, Roussanne, Grenache Blanc and um, beautiful colour. And just really interesting wine. So go out and grab a bottle and see what it's all about. Yeah, defo, defo, yeah. we're trying. Yeah. Um, okay, next listener question. Linda, why should you decant a wine? Um, I'm pretty sure we've covered this in um, Wine Myths or something, but it always is asked. And for me, you decant a wine to open it up, to let it breathe, to allow the aromas to to open there's all these technical terms Antonia I'm sure you're going to I'm waving my hands in the air letting it waft through the air (laughs) yeah Um, I'm watching your hands so basically again again if there's sediment at the bottom of the bottle you would use a decanter so that the sediment isn't poured into your glass that you'd be a little bit um slow pouring the the wine into the decanter vessel. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. It can be any old jug, but it's the whole aeration process um, of of a decanter. And does it enhance wine? I think, yeah. Do we always do it when we should? 
no, because you can't just could be a pain in the butt to clean. But uh, yeah, <laughs> and then you, it means you need to drink the whole the whole bottle because you've decanted it, really, don't you? Yeah, it's a commitment. All yeah, right. Okay. Well, maybe we'll start soon, and we have to drink it now. It's in the decanter. Usually have- with reds, very rarely with whites. You have a trick though. Um, a little bit of a what do they call it? Hack. A hack. Uh-huh. My God, I couldn't. Okay, you have a hack for cleaning decanters. I think you mentioned before, no? The Milton tablets. That's what it was. Yes. But I think you said it didn't really work that no, well. No, it did. did it, it was amazing. I hadn't tried it, but I have tried it since. Okay. So the for sterilising babies, bottles, Milton tablets, you pop it in. Yes. And, uh, yes, it's, it's works. Makes it works. Yeah, shiny as new. Yeah. Great. We'll play one more listener question. Hello, Beatrice Lawless is my name from Wexford. And I just wanted to say, first off, that I'm really enjoying your podcast. Uh, I think it's a perfect blend of of. Uh, Fantastic information and lots of fun uh, and all of that. And I also meant to listen to your uh, live podcast in Dublin. So, yeah, I'm an aficionado uh, at this stage. So my question is, um, how come that uh, non-alcoholic wines uh, are so expensive? Um, Not that I don't enjoy the odd tipple, and I certainly do, but a lot of friends of mine um, wouldn't take a drink. And it's hard to know besides water, sparkling water, really um, what to serve them. So continue with all the good work and uh, I look forward to the next session. Thanks so much, Beatrice, for your question. It's a really good question, actually, and uh, and for your lovely feedback. It's great to know that uh, people in Wexford are tuning in. So thank you for that. Okay, so non-alcoholic wines, why are they so expensive? Uh, Really, I mean, this is a question I get a lot because people seem to think that non-alcoholic wines are just really grape juice, Mm -hmm. which they're not, because if they were, it would just be grape juice and you'd see it's sold on shelves as, you know, a soft drink. Um, The reason why it's expensive is because it has to start. It begins as a wine, so Mm. it has to be made as a wine as the first step. And then the second step is taking the alcohol out of the (gasps) wine, which is a whole other ballgame because it's obviously an additional cost. Um, And uh, they do that through sort of lots of different methods. One of them would be reverse osmosis. Um, There's different technology involved and all of that is at the expense of the winery. So um, so the end product ends up being, you know, pricey enough, you know, considering. And I mean, I know there are good offerings on the market now and I think we'll see There's more of so them. so many offerings. Yeah. There really is. And you have a good friend who we hope maybe if, yeah. if listeners are interested that we will do a full yes. episode of Non-Alcoholic. That's right. Yeah. yeah. My good friend, Iremeren, is um, she is a sales director for BevZero, big international company specializing in technology that um, de-alcoholizes wine. So mm. she is an expert in that area. And we will absolutely bring her in if people are li- interested in hearing more about that topic and all the technology around it and the products that you can find now in the market and what's happening in other markets. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we can do a whole I episode actually of that. I got a, a can of non-alcoholic beer to go to your house with the other day actually so again I just I I didn't get a wine for some reason um, but you know it's something that I'm, I'm kind of get opening up more to mm-hmm. um, can I go on a tangent here with a question about non-alcoholic wines because I saw in the UK a very fancy restaurant had included non-alcoholic wines as part of their list not in a separate non-alcoholic section interesting so it just include it said it was made from Chardonnay 
mm-hmm. and non-alcoholic in the in the line, I mm-hmm. suppose. And obviously it was quite different. It was six fifty per glass, whereas the others were all ten and fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of that? I think it's really interesting. I think it's a bold and brave move, <laughs> it's and so it's boring. one that I would welcome because it's what it's saying is we can have non-alcoholic wines as mainstream. It doesn't have to be, you know, segregated into a whole mm-hmm. other area because. It should be ultimately about what a wine tastes like and, you know, the experience for the consumer. And OK, as long as I think that non-alcoholic message is, is very clear, clear. Yeah. I, I don't see a huge issue with it. I think it's probably going to be a welcome development and probably see more of it in, in years to come. Um, yeah, you wouldn't want to think you're getting, a no, you know, I want to say normal, I shouldn't yeah. use the term normal, but an alcoholic glass yeah. of wine and... It's not no, alcoholic. No, it clearly, it clearly said yeah. non-alcoholic, but um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was really interesting and yeah. I just made a little mental note of it it's to really say good, yeah. if this came up. Cool. We talk about it. I like it. One to watch. One to watch for sure. Um, last question from listeners, I think because you want to move on with all mm-hmm. your little bits and pieces <laughs> and all your Well, I tricks, want to, you don't. The tricks you have <laughs> up your sleeve. Um, this question is about crystals or shards in the wine, Linda, is it? Yes. So it came in two different forms. So I'm going to generalise it a little okay. bit. OK, so basically there's crystals on the top of my cork. What is that? And also in a white wine, I can see what looks like shards of glass at the bottom of the wine. What is this? Okay, these are tartrate crystals, otherwise uh, affectionately known as wine diamonds, which I much Ooh. prefer. <laughs> you, you've struck gold there. Or yeah. no, you got the diamond mind. Yeah, well, tartrate mind. crystals, let's start by saying that they are completely harmless. It's not pieces of glass. It's tartrate, tartrate crystals. They occur when potassium and tartaric acid, which are naturally occurring in the wine, bind to form what's called potassium bitartrate and and they, they, they look like these little crystals, crystals. and they're insoluble um, so they don't dissolve in the liquid and um, as I say it's just a visual thing or maybe a sensory thing obviously consumers don't want to be drinking wine and feeling like little shards it's no although it's harm, very though. interesting it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting yeah. when you find them um, I get excited because it's like oh wow this yeah. is like a living, living product a, yeah, yeah exactly that's what I, I, it's organic I, love, it's, yeah. I did a virtual tasting well, not, for not literally organic but okay, you know what I mean yeah. like it's a, the wine evolving because these tartrate crystals are inter- interrupt but they only happen at when the temperatures when you know get lower so you might have you know um, soluble forms coming together and binding in lo- at low temperatures and forming these crystals that are insoluble um, yes after the wine has been bottled for example sorry what were you going to say I did a virtual tasting for a company recently mm-hmm. and we had a Rioja Crianza and it was on the cork Oh wow! At the top of the cork. So I was showing them because not everyone had it. There was like twenty odd people on the call, right? And only a few of them okay. had it on the, on the bottle. So I That's was like, oh, "Yeah, it's so exciting!" So explaining that. I mean, this is yeah. the thing about wine, Antonia. Like, it goes off in tangents all over the place, yeah. and I never really fully prepare for an event like a corporate one. I know the wines I'm going to talk about have prepared all notes on them, but it's like understanding what people where they're at, what they understand about wine, mm-hmm. and like saying orange wine. I know what it is, you know what it is, but somebody who hasn't been to like a natural wine bar won't know what it is necessarily. Mm. So this is just empowering our listeners and giving them mm-hmm. some some little wins to walk away with For while sure. they're listening and uh, 
spread the word, you know. Well, it is. And it's also about us trying to address Mm -hmm. consumer perceptions. Because taking this example of tartrate crystals, consumer perception will be, oh, my God, what's that? Is it a piece of glass? Is it a fault? Mm -hmm. And the fact is that it's it's not a fault per se. It's not harmful. It's just a visual thing. And as a result of consumer perceptions, wineries have to take lengths and measures to make sure that doesn't happen, which is a sort of an extra manipulation of the wine as such. So, for example, they can do what's called a cold stabilisation prior to bottling. They take the wine and they bring it to really cold temperatures so that any potential uh, tartrite crystals will form at that point and they'll take them out then. Mm-hmm. They'll filter them out then. Um, or they can do different things like an ion exchange or they can add yeast monoproteins and things like that. Yeah, like honest to God, there's lots of yeah. things you can do to the wine to make sure that doesn't happen because that'll be, a, you know, a crime in the in the eyes of the consumer. But a lot of winemakers believe like that these processes and these additions are taking flavour yeah. and aromas out of the wine. And that's, you know, a little bit of a shame. So in a way, if you find a tartrate crystal in your wine, it means the wine has not been over manipulated, maybe. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid of them, is what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Diamonds. Diamonds are forever. Right. What have we got? <coughs> Right. Did Antonia. you know, is it? Did you know? Okay. Or would you like me to go for... And by the um, way, sorry, thank you to the listeners for all your questions and um, happy to do another, you know, however... great to do one a season, I know. Yeah, yeah. we'll do as yeah. many as required to address any questions that come into us. So you know. This does feel like an easy episode, doesn't it, though, Antonia? Because like What's these great? are just like things I'm, we're asked all the time. You know, now I didn't know about all your little bits and pieces with Coast. Well, I knew that, but not all the technical stuff <laughs> but you know this is a lovely episode because it's just like real flow yeah someone just chatting to us about wine so it's lovely yeah um, okay I have two things for you right right okay, I'll do did you know in a second but okay I think you've given me a few of these to share have you oh did I okay go on then you did you did you know go on no, go no. for it well no I mean we can share these okay, out right um, champagne and caviar were included in the price of a ticket on Concord. Did you know that? Did you know? I did because I looked it up. But, uh. <laughs> what kind of champagne? I Who, don't know. Oh, for God's sake. I mean, have you seen in business class um, and first class of, say Emirates, take, mm-hmm. let's just take an airline example. Um, I have been on business class in Emirates where you get, you usually would get a Vogue Clicquot on Emirates. But you're looking into, if you're up near the front, you're looking into the first class section. And they're getting either Krug, no joke, or Dom Perignon. I mean, that's serious. I mean, what what kind on of price airplane. are they? What kind of price are they paying for for copious amounts of Krug happy days. on an eight-hour journey? I know. Happy days. I mean, I was happy out with my Vov Clico. No, no cause for complaint there. Did you know that white wine gets deeper in colour as it ages, from pale lemon or straw colour to golden in colour? Mm-hmm. Did you know? Well, you should know because we mentioned that kind of about the orange wines briefly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the opposite is true of red. So they go from purple, vibrant purple to brick red or garnet in colour. Yeah, Just they go a paler. kind of summary for mm-hmm. our listeners. OK, so go. Yeah. Did you know? Did you know that red wine grapes can be used to make white wine? I did. You did, yeah. But <laughs> many people don't realise that. The juice in red or black grapes is transparent. It's clear. 
Um, so if you press that grape, but you run the juice straight off without any contact to the skins, we're always talking about skin contact. Um, yeah, you can. So an example would be champagne. There's a lot of champagne. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what's called a Blanc de Noir is a, a champagne that has been made purely from Pinot Noir, Noir grapes. And it's as white, well, it's as clear as any white champagne. So, um, so yeah, or white zin is another example, although that's not white, white, that's kind of pink, but that's uh, Zinfandel, which is quite dark skinned and the juice is had minimal contact with the skins it's run off to make a, a rosé. And I saw a white Malbec recently that was white, white. That's really interesting. Yeah, from Argentina. Wow. Yeah. What did it taste like? I didn't taste it. I just saw it. I'd be very interested. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, so did you know that if you want to chill white wine for Zach, this is especially for Zach, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> quicker, you put some ice and water into a cooler, but adds a bit of salt as well and it chills it down faster. Brilliant. <laughs> and last one, the largest bottle of wine is, well, the largest w- bottle size for wine is it's called... bigger than me. It probably <laughs> is, Linda. <laughs> It's called, oh my God, I don't think I'm going to be pronouncing well, this correctly. Well, I certainly can't. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. N-E-B-U-C-H-A-D-N-E-Z-Z-A-R. Oh no, spelling <laughs> it isn't going to help, but hang on. I'm just going to see how Google tells us to pronounce this. N-E-B-U-C-H-A-D-N-E-Z-Z-A-R. What now? Did you know the largest <laughs> bottle size for wine is a Nebuchadnezzar? That's exactly what I didn't say. Excellent. It's the, equivalent, is that? It's the equivalent of 20 regular size bottles, <gasps> around 15 litres. My God, that is definitely bigger than you, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Right. OK, so that's our did you knows. Lovely. Yeah, what, what's the surprise? OK, so the surprise is this is a quiz. I'm going to put a timer on you, Antonia. Okay. What kind of quiz? You'll like it. It'd be grand. Okay. Um, Has it got a team? Yes, it does. Music. Okay, well, that's pretty specific. Well, look, it'll be grand. Okay. Um, Stop, watch. You have 30 seconds, okay? And I would like you to name as many songs as you possibly can with the word wine or about wine or anything like that. There's loads, that you, you know, everyone's going to be thinking, shouting things out on the street as they're walking, listening to this. Right. Okay. okay. As many songs as you can with wine. I'll try, but I, I, I'm, anyway, I'm, I'm, I have a few. I'm, so. Okay, I'm drawing a bit of a blank. Red, okay, red, go, oh, go. red, red wine. What's that? <laughs> Promise me. You know that one with Beverly Craven? Sing it for us. You light up another cigarette and I... Woohoo! Love See? it. Yeah, bonus point because okay. that was not my list. Okay. Ah, okay. Well done. <laughs> um, 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 um. Ten seconds. Oh my god! Stop! I can't think. This is so much pressure. Um, Jeannie Mac. Five. I can't. Give four. me a clue. No, I can't think. No, come on. I'm gonna give you another thirty seconds. Right. Well, on, I just need. Again. I need a bit of. Okay. So, um, <coughs> excuse me. I'm just, I'm literally going through songs in my head. Um, What about a song by Billy? Billy? She doesn't talk about wine and everything I wanted. Does she? Who's Billy? Billy. Billy Holiday, is that what you're thinking? Oh, no, I was thinking of Billy Eilish, oh my God. (laughs) Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Oh, um, uh, you're always a woman to me. No. No, which one? Bottle of White. 
Okay, I didn't bottle know. Bottle of red. No, I don't know that one. Or perhaps a rose instead. No, Scenes from an Italian restaurant. Great oh, yeah. song. See, I'm not really... Okay, don't know Summer that. Wine by... Oh, Summer Wine. Oh, and Bono and... And, and, and the course. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's a, a few more. Okay, so Red Red Wine. You yeah. got that with Neil Diamond and you before to you. Yeah. But not together, obviously. Yeah. Um, a song called White Wine by the Vernons. No. Oh, oh they God. sang uh, I'll Be There For You, was it? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, I don't know. Um, this literally... There's one, two, three, four, about ten lines, and it's like white wine. It's like white wine. Is it Stop. white wine? It's hilarious. He sounds a little bit like Paolo Nutini. Okay, so I, I'm kind of yeah, like it. Okay. Um, I drink wine by Adele. Don't know that one. Cherry wine by Hosier. Cherry. Okay, I don't know by Hosier. <laughs> no, but there is another one. Cherry wine. Oh, <gasps> we don't have to take our clothes off. You know that song. <laughs> you know Jermaine. What's his face? It's real eighties. I love that song. You know, and drink some cherry wine. Uh, <laughs> is that what they say? Yeah. No way. I didn't oh know my that. God. And then champagne supernova. Oasis. Oh yes. Easy. Yeah. And then <laughs> living la vida loca. Ricky Martin. Oh yeah. She never drinks the water. Makes you order. French champagne is now, you see, another. Can I just say, I was thinking of the actual word wine, so you tricked yeah, me there. Yeah, but look. Ah, come on. Yeah. And then wine after whiskey, Kerry Underwood. So well Thank done, you. you got one that was not on my list. I, so two. fair play to you. Two, okay. Yeah, yeah, but it took you forever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, well look, thanks for that bit of fun. And thanks for tuning in for our two seasons of Wine, the long and the short of it. We are going to take a little break and we will be back with season three before you know it. So during the summer, right? Yeah. Well, we'll probably do a bonus or two as we do during the summer. Uh Uh-huh. If we don't uh, No. Well, we might. We might. We would miss each other too much. I know, imagine. <laughs> Thanks all for listening. We're delighted um, with all the questions that came in. And um, yeah. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. Thanks, folks. See you next season. See you next season. So what do you think? We do these podcasts because we want you, our listeners, to know what's going on in the world of wine and be informed when it comes to your wine buying decisions. We always love hearing from you. So let us know your thoughts on Instagram and Twitter. Sign up for our newsletter. And if you haven't subscribed to Wine, the long and the short of it yet, make sure you do that wherever you get your podcasts. Or reach out to us by email at ourwinepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. Cheers. Cheers. You have been listening to Wine, the long and the short of it with me, Antonia Dominguez. And me, Linda Coogan, in proud partnership with Give Wine a Future.